Welcome to the podcast of ideas. I'm Rob Lyons. One of the strongest reactions to the UK's vote to leave the EU came from younger voters who tended to vote to remain. There were complaints that their futures had been stolen by selfish and backward older voters. This was just one of many spats what has become a battle of the generations, with younger people complaining of a lack of affordable housing and decent jobs, particularly for graduates who had greater expectations of a high salary career. Yet older people respond that their lives were by no means easy, with far fewer of the creature comforts we expect today, and where higher education was for an elite few. The issue of generation inequality goes beyond education, jobs and housing. For example, there are concerns that a growing number of older people will be relying on the taxes of the young to fund healthcare, social care and pensions. And who pays for the infrastructure we will need in the future? Should the building of transport links, electricity grids and everything else also be left to younger generations? To discuss this and more, I'm delighted to be joined via Skype by Dr. Jenny Bristow, Senior Lecturer in Sociology at Canterbury Christchurch University and author of both The Sociology of Generations, New Directions and Challenges, and Baby Booners and Generational Conflict. Jenny will be speaking in two debates on this topic at the Battle of Ideas on Saturday the 22nd of October. Morning, Jenny. Morning, Rob. So, is there any merit to the complaints of the young? Have the baby boomers been living the high life and expecting the young to pay? No, they haven't, which is not to say uh, that everything is rosy for young people. I think a lot of the arguments that are made about um, whether it's a shortage of housing, wages, um, ridiculous kind of levels of debt from higher education and various other things to do with higher education are actually true. So I don't think young people are whinging over nothing. Having said that, I think it's a real mistake to try and counterpose these problems to an imagined future that was enjoyed, uh, sorry, imagined past, <laughs> actually, that was in, um, allegedly enjoyed by uh, previous generations, particularly the baby boomers tend to be talked about as as the generation who had it all, because I think that does completely simplify the experience of uh, the baby boomer generation and of the, his- the historical time that that generation grew up within. Um, and it, it's a sort of a narrative that... Um, really doesn't lead anywhere other than to envy, uh, resentment um, and a really grubby call to redistribute uh, resources from the old to the young. Where does this come from then? I mean, why why are people understanding uh, these problems not as economic problems, for example, but as generational problems? I think there's a number of reasons, but the key thing um, that I uh, have been struck by is that I don't think this comes from young people. There's quite a lot of research on the relationship between older and younger generations and how people think about their lives and their future and, and their relationships. And you haven't got you know, hordes of young people kind of queuing up to say it's their fault, blame it on the baby boomers. The narrative actually comes from um, somewhere else. Interestingly, um, political elites in developed societies as it goes, particularly the USA, but you also have a very similar thing being played out in Australia and various European countries and in the UK. Um, and the people who've made claims about the problem of generational equality tend to have been um, older people um, from both sides of the political spectrum, actually, although both in America and the UK, the most important claims makers were from sort of the right of the political spectrum. But I think, you know, the same arguments are made by people from you know the, the other side as well. 
And I think it's a way of trying to evade, if you like, a, a proper discussion about the social and economic problems that societies have in the here and now. Can, can you elaborate on that? Because, I mean, what's their, what's their interests in this? Because it seems like, or, or maybe they just got a bit of a sort of a self-flagellation complex that, you, that they, they see that you know, they've done well and, and others haven't. But, I mean, presumably that's not just a certain section of the political elite, but I suspect a, a well-off section of the political elite as well. I think uh, there's, there's two elements to uh, the phenomenon now known as boomer blaming. Um, one is... Uh, a, a sort of demographic or economic argument, which is really where the arguments about intergenerational inequality come from. And um, this, I think, comes from a, a real lack of imagination uh, at the level of policy and economic thinking, where it's not seen as possible to um, have a, a vision of how society might move forward, if you like, in a way that benefits everybody. Um, and there's a real defen- defensiveness about actually who it might benefit. And so what you have is this fairly grubby uh, critique, which is actually not new. I mean, versions of this critique have gone on over the past century, at least, which basically says, oh, there's too many people using up all the resources, you know, and that's why the baby boomers as a large generation, relatively, are um, cast as particularly problematic. There's this sort of just idea, well, there's too many of them. Look, there's all of them and they're all accessing pensions. They're all accessing healthcare, and There isn't enough to go around. Um, so I think that's one element of it. I think the other element of it, which is what's given the uh, the, the argument against the baby boomers um, an extra kick, if you like, um, is the association of the baby boomer generation with the, the 60s and the idea that um, the, the people should you know, have a good time or uh, think outside the box or, um, you know, as a, a society, as a society, we should have a kind of liberal notion of how people should be able to kind of behave and enjoy their freedoms and all of that. And I think we live in very conservative times now with a, a small C. I think the, 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 the current zeitgeist is very uncomfortable with that notion that um, actually, you know, people should try and live their lives to the full. And so there's an argument about people needing to rein back and lower their expectations. Um, this argument tends to get made about the baby boomers, you know, so this idea that they're all really greedy and they've spent all of this, they've spent all their pensions on cruises and golf and, you know, all kinds of activities. It's actually not true when you break it down. Um, but it also has a big effect on young people as well, because it encourages young people to think, oh, yes, it's. It's a real mistake to think that um, I might retire someday or uh, that I should be able to use my income to have fun. So, yeah. So what are the consequences of this kind of generational conflict? Well, there's many. Um, I think the the main consequence at the moment um, is uh, the effect it's had on policy thinking. I think policy thinking has become very, very narrow and very mean spirited. Um, So, (laughs) I mean, the, the the the. the stories you read in the newspaper on when they talk about intergenerational conflict are really like I can only think of granny mugging in terms of what they're talking about. I mean, it's, it's all about, oh, well, you know, these old people, they've had too much, which is bizarre because that baby boomer generation, that big generation did work and pay taxes. Do you know what I mean? So it, it's it's weird to think that they are somehow living off what the young people are doing because they did actually put in themselves into the things that they are now drawing out of. Um, 
but there's ideas that, that, that money and resources and housing and opportunities should be taken away from old people and given to younger people. Um, I think that's very depressing because I think it, uh, um, it, it shows a kind of mi- fairly miserable view of what society thinks of older people. You know, in the States, it's just parasitical, isn't it? It's this idea that, well, they've done it now and now they're no longer working. We should just kind of throw them on the scrap heap. Um, and uh, is also a very miserable view for young people to have, because obviously young people one day will be older people. So I think there's a real question about what incentive is there in society to kind of move on and everything. If you know that at the end of it, you're just going to have everything taken away from you. Um and I think there's a there is also a, a cultural problem at the level of um, just encouraging a um, an idea of sort of parent blaming amongst younger generations that everything is kind of there's nothing they can do about their lives you know it's their future has been written by the older people um, and it's all their fault and I think that's you know that that is not a good approach for younger generations to be encouraged to take to life. Um, yeah, that's a, I, I really take your point about the sort of fatalism behind this thing. Um, the one, the other session that you're t- speaking on that's related to this is uh, called "What Should Post Millennials Know," and that mm. again speaks to this atti- the, this thing about attitudes to the future, and I suppose attitudes to the past as well when it comes to knowledge, because there's this there seems to be this idea that. Oh, you know, all that old stuff, that's not relevant to, uh, young people today. They need to, you know, to learn how to, you know, raise the money for a deposit on a mortgage, a mortgage or something like that. Or, <laughs> yeah, or, or, you know, they, they need to, to l- improve their Googling skills rather than actually sit down and learn something. Um, so, w- so what's your take on that, uh, that issue? I mean, did, uh, is it still worth defending sort of old school knowledge as it were? Well, it depends what you mean by old school knowledge. I mean, I think that, it, that knowledge is worth defending um, in terms of the gains of uh, the past, what we know from the past um, and um, history and a sense of, you know, sort of real understanding of where we as a society come from and what we want to pass on to the younger generation. And I think what's happened is that there's been this sort of association with kind of knowledge and particularly kind of traditional academic curriculum um, with um, with old people and old values and old ways um, as though the process of education is a, a static one, you know, where old people tell young people what to think and young people go away and think it. And that's not the way education works. That's not the way that, that knowledge develops. Um, knowledge, knowledge is to a large degree socially constructed and what that means is that young people take the knowledge from the past, um, but then they remake it in their own way and they come at society in their own way um, spontaneously through having access to the things that older generations have learned over time. The problem now, I think, is there's this sort of idea that actually that knowledge of the past is a really problematic and young people should be preventing from prevented from having that knowledge and they should just be encouraged to think about the concerns of the present day in the way that you just outlined, uh, which means that actually young people can never then hope to make knowledge their, of their own because they'll all be reinventing the wheel, you know, because they're deprived of um, the, that stock of uh, um, history and experience that really should be passed on. Uh, and, and how much do these uh, these these trends 
really impact on young people? I mean, to what extent have they really uh, sort of affect people right across the board? Are, are they just a sort of middle class concern amongst a, 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 a small sort of section of society, or do they influence absolutely everything? Do you think? I think that's very difficult to say. Um, I mean, it's the kind of thing that you need to kind of study by talking to lots of people. I don't think it's the most important thing. So I don't think it's something that is um, actually just uh, um, restricted to kind of a middle class preoccupation as it goes, because, you know, middle class people always manage to access kind of the best of things anyway. Um, so where trends in education, for example, really have an effect is on um, young people who, you know, basically go through school are told that they need to just learn about what's relevant today and aren't given access to anything else. You know, um, I think one thing that I find quite heartening is when you look at research that has been done on how generations relate to each other. Um, actually, most people still experience the generational interaction as one of support and care and concern. You know, and whether it's about parents helping their children financially or about children looking after their aging parents um, or whether it's about relations of support, um, you know, emotional support, um, caring, all of those kind of things. Um, those are still pretty strong. So what I find disturbing is that you have a narrative that seeks to kind of undermine all of that by saying, actually we've got a generational war going on when actually we haven't got a generational war and the last thing we want to do is construct one that um really does have a destructive impact on people's lived experience and on that uh, i think a very excellent note we'll leave it there thank you very much jenny so if you'd like to see jenny in the flesh discussing these uh, topics then please do come to the battle of ideas which is on the 22nd and 23rd of october at the barbican in london uh, to find out more about the program and to buy tickets go to battleofideas.org.uk and if you'd like to hear more of these podcasts go to instituteofideas.com forward slash podcast thank you very much dr jenny bristow thank you